Welcome to Tool Talk from Exegetical Tools, where we discuss sound practices and sturdy resources to help you rightly divide the word of truth. Today, good friend and mentor of mine, Mike Ackerman. Mike, how you doing, man? Good. I'm grateful to be here. Mike Ackerman is a professor of New Testament, amongst other things. What's your official title? Professor of New Testament and Church Planning. And Church Planning. Okay, that makes sense. At Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri. Uh, both of our almost mater, mm-hmm. if that's how you pluralize that. Um, probably, right? I don't think so. It's like brothers-in-law, right? I think it, it almost <laughs> moders. Both? <laughs> I mean, I think the, in Latin, the, it's got to agree, the adjective and noun Ooh. have to agree in number. Okay, Latin is something that I don't know, so but maybe you can fill us in a little bit on that later. Latin studies. Oh, man, but you've done a lot. Um, so, professor of New Testament, and normally, you know, I, I get in my mind, and maybe incorrectly, but uh, so far have been pretty accurate, just a view of what the New Testament professor's interests are and what he, he's like and what his resume li- might consist of. Um, yours is a little bit unique. So tell us, from your time at Ozark Christian College as an undergrad, where have you been and how'd you get back? Well, when I graduated in 2004, I spent the next year uh, actually teaching adjunct at the college, uh, just a few classes, lower-level classes, uh, so I got some initial teaching experience that way. But then after that, I went to Arizona, where I preached at a small church there, uh, and then transitioned from there to a larger church in Los Angeles, uh, because those were all intentional steps along the way toward planting a church in Japan. And so the church in Los Angeles was a big supporter of that vision, uh, in the sense that they brought me there and then helped support us financially when we got going on it. And uh, spent five years in Japan, learned the language there, uh, learned the culture, and after a couple of years, started a church in the city of Nagoya, Japan. We had a team of people uh, that, that came with us initially, so the, the vision was hopefully to start more than one church, and, and luckily we were able to do that. Uh, started a second church in Osaka after the first church had been going for about a year and a half. And since I've been back, they've, they've started a third church in Kobe, and then later this year, Lord willing, a church in Kyoto will get started. So that's been about 10 years ago now that that started. Um, so after about five years in Japan, I came back to teach at Ozark Christian College. Uh, uh, so I've been there for about five years now. Along the way, I started... Uh, my seminary work at Fuller Seminary at their Southwest campus in Phoenix, and then some more at the Pasadena campus, and then ultimately finished my MA in theological studies through Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, Travis's current school. Future Alma, Alma's mottos for both of us. <laughs> yeah. So just kind of coincidental. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's a quite a interesting trip you took there. And uh, definitely gained, I think, a lot of perspective. And I think more and more people are going to have um, similar stories about their education, right? Because online learning and the history mm-hmm. of theological education is like brand spanking new. Right. Um, for guys, you know, my age maybe, mm-hmm. and probably your age too. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's not so crazy because right. mostly grown up with internet and social right. media and some of these things. But just in the history of the church, hugely different thing. However, um, self-taught, which is unfortunately, and not all online mm-hmm. programs, but a lot of online programs wind up being somewhat just self-taught, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you're going to get the information from a book. And I know a right. lot of programs are working to supplement that. Um, 
in a lot of different ways and try to provide a little bit more interaction. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of what I want to talk to you about today is being a self-taught um, a self-taught man, being a, mm -hmm. a theological yeah. self-learner, autodidact a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, how has that been a, a big part of, well, let's start first with your church planning ministry. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, I mean, for my current profession is teaching at a academic institution. And of course, I've gone to a few academic institutions, but there's a part of me that still feels like the best learning and the richest and most memorable learning that we all inevitably have is that self-driven type of learning. And I really encourage my, my current students even to see even the formal program they're in, the degree program, as a, a resource for their own development. And while, of course, we want an attitude of submission to uh, the school and the, the, those that are investing their time and energy to teach us, at the end of the day, I think before God and, and others, you know, we're responsible for our own learning and development. You know, and I like saying that ultimately everybody's the dean of their own lifetime learning. And so you may have an academic dean at your current school and they help guide and shape the faculty and curriculum and those types of things. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I really want to encourage students and, and pastors alike to take that sense of responsibility to say, uh, you know, for the glory of God, I'm going to do my best to learn and grow in a way that is fruitful. And so every conversation, every experience, every program I'm in is a resource toward that end. And so getting a picture of, of who you want to be and what kind of impact you want to make in the world, and then using those educational opportunities uh, formally and informally to help you pursue that goal. And so what's interesting is it may end up looking like being in a very formal on-campus educational experience, but uh, the mentality is, you know, I'm responsible for God to to grow and learn uh, in the way that uh, that this situation can provide for me. And so I think it also opens up a whole world to us. I think a lot of uh, a lot of people feel like they need degrees to feel capable. And of course, in certain denominations, their degrees are required for ordination, and that's fair. And I understand that, especially if undergraduate Bible college training isn't a part of their tradition, then really seminary is the, the place where that happens. So that's wonderful. But the degree, the piece of paper, uh, to me is not that important. You know, it's, I don't mean to be weird about it, but I don't hang up my degrees on the wall. They're in a drawer in my office in case the whoever needs to see that. <laughs> but I, and this is a name that brings a lot of connotations, but I really appreciated that section in In the Name of Jesus from Henry Nouwen when he talks about that longing to be, uh, I think the word he uses is relevant, but I think maybe the better word is credible. Mm. These grasping uh, methods we can have to feel credible. Like if I get this degree and I have this item on my resume, then I, then I can feel okay. But I think when we're really secure in our uh, identity in Christ, that we understand even on my best day, I'm far from worthy. But even in spite of that, we've been entrusted with a message and we've been entrusted with a vocation, a calling, 
uh, it sort of frees us up, I think, to say, well, I'm going to learn from wherever I can, and I'm just going to grab life experiences and moments with people and courses that I take and degrees I pursue under that broader banner of just a longing to be fruitful for the Lord versus a sort of phobic need to be credible. Yeah. To me, those are some of those heart issues are some of the, some of what's at stake there. Yeah. It'd be really easy to write a paper about Martin Luther and trying to be at the same time in your writing justified by something other than faith Mm -hmm. alone. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, With a huge twist of irony, of course. Right. And if we can even talk about, you know, Paul and Timothy is somewhat of an example, mm-hmm. a biblical example of a little bit of what theological education or just general pastoral training looks mm-hmm. like. And I think we can. Um, then I, you know, I hear Paul talking about being the chief of sinners, right? Being, you know, that's his resume, right? Right. And starting out with, and probably at least a little bit, intimating to Timothy, hey, man. I'm the chief of sinners. The best thing we got going on is Jesus. Absolutely. And so here's some instruction for how to run God's household as a good mm-hmm. steward. Mm-hmm. And so um, I certainly resonate with that. Really appreciate that. At some point, I, I've recorded the episode. I don't know, I don't know when it's going to go. We don't have a, a schedule cool. just yet. Okay. But um, with a, another um, alumnus, a friend of mine named Kevin Moore, okay. um, who's not currently pursuing any kind of graduate studies mm-hmm. and uh, just talking about how he strives to do good exegesis and what that yeah. looks like in a busy pastorate. Right. And uh, really hoping that uh, our listeners will just be encouraged that mm-hmm. um, even though we run a website called exegeticaltools.com and we um, offer ways for people to bone up on their Greek or whatever, and, mm-hmm. and you know, it's like to talk about academic resources, um, that we have a very particular goal in mind with all this. Yeah. Um, and I love that. I mean, getting to just check out the site and some of the articles and tools that you guys are creating, I think it's 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 very much embracing what we're getting at in terms of we live in an interconnected world. We live in an environment where you don't actually have to physically go to a specific library to be able to get to take advantage of certain resources. And so I, you know, I think the mentality of I'm going to I'm going to pursue my own development. You know, uh, resources like this are very much a part of what's available out there. Mm-hmm. If only we will take advantage of it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I remember uh, a couple of years ago at a uh, kind of intensive church planning course, you spoke a little bit about the need for church planner specifically, mm-hmm. but probably just anybody busy yeah. with busy with pastoral ministry um, to have their own devotional life. And I told you I wanted to talk to you about that, but then I thought yeah. of something else I want to talk to you okay. about. You also mentioned your um, expectations for the rest of your team mm-hmm. and kind of your system yeah. for checking into that. I'm a little fuzzy on it, but can yeah, you, I think sure. it would be helpful if you just shared that a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Well, I mean, in my own life, I, I just believe strongly that that part of what we bring to the table as pastors is a sense in which we are living out what we would want to invite others to live. I remember hearing a pastor just ask it that way. Are you living the life you're calling others to live? And it's so obvious and so basic, and we all know we're supposed to be an example. But in terms of taking that concept very seriously in terms of how we design our life, that the habits and schedule we live reflect a desire to 
live a life that's glorifying to God and spiritually rich. And so I I decided very early on in ministry that it would just absolutely be uh, an unmoving part of my life, unmoving in the sense it's always taking place, not that it's always happening at the same time or, yeah, or, you know, that the method looks the same, but that it will, it will be a part of my life that I'm taking in scripture, that I'm committed to a life of prayer, that I'm engaged in meaningful community. I mean, these types of things, regardless of job, geography, et cetera, will, will take place. And, as you mentioned, we were talking about that initially in the context of church planning because by its very nature, there's not a ton of existing structure. Even just you don't have a building probably at first. So even the architecture, you're not walking into a place that you psychologically are clicking into the fact that you are going to work and that you're supposed to be spiritual today. Um, you might be working out of a coffee shop or a, a rented space uh, with with other business, small businesses in the community or whatever the case might be. And so it's all the more important for you to take that ownership. But like you said, I think anybody who's in full-time ministry, the busyness and the amount of different things we're juggling in life, it there are so many things that battle against a, a, ha- a habit of spiritually nourishing ourselves. So we got to take responsibility for that. And kind of like I was saying with the idea of being the dean of our own lifelong learning, no one else in the world is responsible for our spiritual growth in in the same way that, that we are for ourselves. And so taking that very seriously means getting up whenever I need to get up to have that kind of time with the Lord, where my mind is being saturated with scripture and that prayer is happening. Uh, whatever time of day it needs to happen. If it needs to happen early in the morning, late at night, spread out various times through the day. Just It starts with that just initial resolve and commitment and uh, giving up any type of excuses like, well, I'm too busy or I got this, I got that. Everybody's busy. Everybody, everybody I know feels more busy than they wish they were and feels like they are busy to a degree that it, it infringes upon that kind of slow and steady spiritual growth process. So we have to just take ownership of that and say, whatever the case is, I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to make this a part of my life. And so regular Bible reading, Bible memorization, uh, I just think for a pastor, there's just no excuse for that not being a major part of their day. Uh, I think we see, of course, in the book of Acts, the earliest church had, they were busy. And they were busy with good things. I think that's the thing that we have to admit is that it's good things, not bad things, that often infringe upon our time. Uh, so the apostles, of course, had to say, we need to mobilize some more people for this distri- you know, distribution of labor here to make sure these widows are taken care of because we cannot allow the ministry of word and prayer to, to be bumped out of our schedule. And so I think many of us individually have to come to that same resolve. I just, I won't let 
this not be a part of my life? Yeah. And I know that's a double negative, but a <laughs> <laughs> hey, Greek does it all the time. Right. Exactly. So no big deal. So just that resolve is mm-hmm. a big part of it. And so yeah, getting systematic. Sometimes people feel like systematic or even some kind of corporate systematic approach, which is what you were alluding to as far as our team in Japan goes, um, can feel rigid or legalistic. But it's 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 just a way of saying if something's important, it's worth ensuring it happens in an orderly way. And yeah. so whether that means a Bible, an annual Bible reading plan, certain time goals, even as it relates to prayer. I mean, I've had that at different seasons where I said, you know, I'm going to pray this long each day. And if it feels hard to fill that time, I'm going to figure out a way to fill that time. Um, and uh, even within our team in Japan, we wanted to make sure that people felt like it was self-driven, that it wasn't like someone is saying, you need to read this much Bible and pray this long, but that we work together to say, what is it that you want to do? And how can we help one another uh, to follow through on that? And so we had a thing we just called discipleship plan. That was the phrase that we used, uh, not overly technical sounding, but just discipleship plan. Yeah. And it was, we were working with a Google Doc and color coding system. I mean, it felt very systematic. And to people that were new to it, it felt like, wow, this is pretty intense. But again, anything that we value, if we think it's important to pay our bills, right, we probably have a system. Okay, this bill goes out this time. We're going to set up this on automatic withdrawal, you know, within a, a couple. Here's who does what, you know, bill or, or those things, because they're important to us, we make sure they happen. Mm-hmm. Why, why not take that mentality with the nourishment of our soul that I'm going to make sure it happens? And I'm going to adapt that system to situations in life and travel and when kids come into the equation, those types of things. But the intentionality and purposefulness, you know, can continue through whatever phase of life. And so basically we just had, we had Bible intake, prayer, outside learning, physical health, and then a focus area. Those five domains was what on, was on this these sheets, and you know what what activities do you want to do to put put it into action, and then let's kind of have an accountability process where we visit and see how that's going. And I would say honestly, it was one of the richest and most useful ways to spend our time, even in the throes of cross cultural church planning to get together in the middle of a week where there's a thousand other things we could do and say, let's talk about what you gained from God's word this week. How's prayer going this week? Uh, what kind of, let's kick around some of the outside learning you did. Uh, I think a lot of us would say that that was some of the richest stuff that went on during those first few years, uh, even with so many other things that could take up our time. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm kind of, I feel like there's a lot more we could say about those types of things, but a lot of it has to do with a mentality and a purposefulness to put it into action. Mm. And to, and one of the things I like, I probably said it when you heard me talk about this the first time, but I, I apply it to myself, uh, this axiom of, of coming to grips with the fact that you're not an exceptional person. And what I mean by that is, yes, you're special and uniquely <laughs> formed by God, but that you're not the exception. There are, there are time-tested practices in the life of the church, 
Bible, prayer, fellowship. You're not the exception. Mm. You're you're just like everybody else in the sense that it's going to take those things to provide uh, resources for your growth. And so I, I, f- I find a lot of us, especially in the age we live in where where we are sort of cel- we celebrate uniqueness culturally, I think, in America, that that well, here's why that doesn't isn't my thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I've heard so many of those types of conversations. Like, here's why, well, I don't like being systematic or, you know, I'm, I'm more wired up this way or here's my personality type and why, why this kind of steady Bible intake, prayer, learning, physical health stuff doesn't apply to me. Mm-hmm. No, I actually, I'm not the exception. I'm just like everybody else. It takes these things for me to grow. And so I'm just going to lean into those basics and good things tend to happen, you know? Yeah, there's sort of a level of mere devotion. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. common to all of That's us. That's a great right? phrase that just this basic, it's not fancy, right. but, but it, it's rich. Um, you mentioned outside learning. Yeah. I've been surprised by some of the books you reference in just casual <laughs> conversation. Okay. Um, more than once. Okay. And I'm pretty sure one time I think just flat asked you, like, do you actually... <laughs> read all of these or are they just things that you kind of got a summary of somewhere and you kind of picked up along the way because yeah. i know i've done that i've been like okay i kind of have a general right like this is just for me a, a helpful way to put a, a general idea so I, it doesn't really matter if i read the book i'm not intentionally trying to mislead a person um but i asked you you're like no really and so as far as outside learning goes like what are you doing right yeah. now and okay. why okay i'm sure well, the answer will be interesting <laughs> well thank you yeah, getting at that, do you really read what you're talking about? I mean, I, I'm i sort of personally, I guess, theologically committed to not bluffing when it comes to this issue. And I think for those who work in the academic field at any level, there is a strong temptation to bluff. Like, oh, well, this latest book came out. Like and, kind of feign familiarity Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you yeah. know how so-and-so. Oh, Like course, I read an article about the Benedict Option. Right. You read the book. Well, I actually haven't read that book, okay. but that okay. concept, okay. yes, that that. Thanks for being honest. Yeah. See, I'm trying to. Yeah. <laughs> you knew I hadn't, and you were like, "Let's see if he bluffs on this one." <laughs> um, no, but yeah, there there's definitely a temptation in academic worlds to feign awareness of every issue. Mm. And so I just try to be very comfortable with admitting, oh, I haven't read something yet. But I do, it went as much as possible, try to read thoroughly uh, stuff because I know anytime I've written something, you know, you try to have a, a holistic discussion of something. And so sometimes if you leave a chapter or two out, you can miss that. So I try to read whole books when I can. But um, I definitely try to read broadly. Um, partially for my own sanity. I mean, to be honest, if I just only read, uh, I don't know, you know, academic, uh, theological, New Testament studies types, the collective books, gasp, yeah, that's happening on the other end of this recording right now. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, it, it's kind of boring and <laughs> uh, r- repetitive. And so, yeah, I like to throw in some some thoughtful, interesting things from very different worlds. Mm-hmm. Maybe we talked about uh, Between the World and Me, ta Coates. I mean, you have 
uh, it's a it's a, a book about race relations. Have not read it. <laughs> Just to appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. my cards on the. We table. might have mentioned that one. I read that recently. You know, I read a book called Stumbling on Happiness by. Uh, I think the author's named Gilbert, last name Gilbert. He's a professor of psychology at Harvard and just about happiness. What does the psychological field of happiness have to say about the human condition? And, of course, I'm reading all these from a perspective, Mm -hmm. a Christian who is a pastor who's trying to help others think through ideas and who's trying to get in touch with people and how they work. And so to me, the two most interesting subjects in the world are God and people. And so anything that helps expand my mind and reflection about the nature of God and his will and his work and the nature of people that I'm trying to help connect to God. And uh, there's a cliche I've heard. I I don't know who coined it. Maybe it's one of those nobody knows who coined it. But somebody can Google while we're they're listening and confirm it for us, probably. But it's this idea of all truth is God's truth. Mm. If something's true, uh, in the sense of general revelation, it's not going to be surprising if I stumble upon it in an unlikely area or source. And to just sort of take this approach to learning and growth that uh, I can learn from all kinds of different people. I can learn from stand-up comedians. I can learn from uh, because they're often, you know, commentating on society and culture and these types of things. Do you have a favorite? Ooh, and I don't know your audience enough to know if I'm allowed to. You are allowed <laughs> to tell the truth. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't condone his material. You don't have to share if you're if you're <laughs> if you'd rather not. Well, I think Dave Chappelle is a genius. Okay. I think uh I think Sebastian Maniscalco is a fascinating right. social commentator. I haven't heard that one, but okay. <laughs> oh um, man. Okay. But yeah, I'm there's trying a to Google all truth is God's truth. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Those word those key words are gonna show up a, a lot of different things. Right, that's hits. the problem, right? Because it's such a good, pithy whatever. Yeah, and I mean, of course scripture speaks to this. Sure. Romans one talking about the invisible. Yeah, Paul said it, so yeah. So there's there's still there's a place within scripture that points to the breadth of mm-hmm. of God's revelation that you know uh, I I think scientists and psychologists and sociologists are are just accidentally stumbling upon things that God has woven into his creation and even in our fallenness uh, in the fallenness kind of in a apophatic kind of way reflects something about his design, mm-hmm. you know? And so um, so I don't feel threatened by science or psychology. I say, well, what can we, what can we read there and find out uh, about fallen humanity? Yeah. Uh, or, you know, what, when the wisdom of God, I mean, that's one of those things that I think working in an Asian context for five years where people, or anthropologists say people don't feel guilt, you know, Japanese people, they say, don't feel guilt. Um, they feel shame. They right. feel consequence. They don't con- They don't have this sort of Greek thought form of there's such a thing as right and wrong. It's more u- utility. You know, my actions and behaviors have a repercussion in my relationships. And is that positive or negative? So saying, okay, well, how does that 
what God has revealed resonate in that environment? Well, throughout the Old Testament, God's law is described as a as a provision, as a grace, as wisdom. And so is it wrong in some cosmic way to violate one of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, absolutely. But it's also unwise. Mm. And so saying, how does what God has revealed, his wisdom, uh, how does it play itself out in human uh, experience? And I think that personally and collectively in society, when we can learn about the nature of people, uh, it helps us you know, see how right God is in his word. So, yeah, so I, I enjoy that. I find it refreshing to read pretty broadly and from different fields. I'm reading through Story of Civilization right now from Will, Will Durant, Will and Ariel Durant. Uh, I think it's 11-volume History of the World up through the time of Napoleon. They wanted to keep going, but they died. So they oh, just, well, that's as far as they got. That's the that's, unfortunate thing about history books. Yeah. Right? They got to stop somewhere. <laughs> so, um, but it's something I've wanted to read for a long time because it's just a bird's eye view at the development of civilization from yeah. the beginning. It's a big deal. So things like that, you know, I'm reading various, I'm reading the biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Hmm. He's someone I deeply appreciate. Uh, his book, Preaching and Preachers, is one of my favorite preaching books. And so I'm reading a single volume uh uh, biography of him right now. Uh, any any academic resources that haven't bored you recently? <laughs> any exegetical tools that people <laughs> that might want to go look out for? <laughs> I feel bad. Is it that hard? To, that negatively. That hard? Well, it's it's tough because it's like any field you got to read stuff right. that it's not necessarily like. Fun, but it's related to your field. No, you know, yeah, no, it's, it's a different spiritual kind of reading, broccoli. For sure, you know, spiritual it's good for broccoli. you. It yeah, doesn't necessarily hopefully not mushy, right? Fun, yeah. Hopefully, it's got yeah. enough to it. Maybe, Maybe a little, little seasoned salt or there something. Yeah. Okay. But I'm trying to. Th- I, I feel bad that I can't come up with something off the top of my head. But there's there's nothing I'm ultra excited about right now. Okay. I mean, it's been a couple of years, but one of the books I read most, you know, in the last couple of years that that it, I mean, it's a fairly simple portrayal, but reading backwards from Richard Hayes. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a, a noteworthy academic name for people, but this book's pretty accessible and not overly technical. But essentially reading the Old Testament from uh, a, lens, a Christological lens yeah, and trying, I mean, that's that big challenge that I think all of us who are serious exegetes of the New Testament have to try to figure out how all these pieces tie together. I thought it was a helpful motif, this reading backwards. And of course, he's written other things like Echoes of Scripture and the Letters of Paul. In this, he uses that metaphor of an echo, an auditory resonance that I actually find pretty a pretty powerful metaphor because I think sometimes we run into wait a second, the way this New Testament author is quoting from this Old Testament text or the way they're alluding to this text, it, it feels maybe strange to us or it's not exactly, we're not at ease with some of our historical grammatical tools for how they're applying it, but there's a resonance, there's an echo, there's a rever- reverberation through mm-hmm. the New Testament. So whether you want to talk about, I mean, something that's fresh on my mind, um, having preached from First Kings 8, temple imagery. So it's not just 
about a pure word search of temple in the New Testament. Sure. It's about the concepts of of God's presence and his holiness and access to him that happens, you know, historically at the temple, but then comes to fuller fruition through Christ and the Spirit. This motif of the temple makes its way through the New Testament and in ways that just our concordance is only part of the right of and that's the another picture. reason that immersing yourself in your own devotional absolutely. study of scripture absolutely i mean has an exponential return absolutely on your bible study because mm-hmm. you're right and you know we'll uh, at some point we'll we'll boast an episode uh talking about uh bible software in general yeah um spoke spoke with a guy about that recently and it's amazing just the textual things you can do and how helpful that can be but um absolutely not to neglect the importance of concepts and sometimes yeah in authors not intentionally lifting a word from another passage but is just so informed by some theological doctrinal concept that um, we ought to follow that even if they're not trying to quote something or trying right. to reuse a word right right and you can't you can't do that with I mean, maybe they'll come up with it, right? But there's no there's no substitute for just knowing the Bible, right? For meditating on His Word and and letting it sort of percolate, mm. uh, and that's part of why I'm such a big advocate for Bible memorization as well, right? And of course, you had me as a student, you know, uh, you know that. Oh yeah, I am serious about that Bible memory, right? Good. Because there's the no shortcut yeah. to just having it in your mind, mm-hmm. just the meditating and delighting on the Word of the Lord. Like Psalm one talks about, you know, this sense of just making it so much a part of our minds that those reflections and those connections can kind of emerge organically. Uh, there's no shortcut to that. It's very time consuming. It's very life consuming, right? That certain passages speak to us in in different seasons, not because it changes, but because we do. And so there is a timelessness, but timeliness to God's word that, again, there's just no shortcut other than to have a steady intake. And this is some of where the world of psychology talks about the reinforcing of connections and the mm-hmm. the way things go from short-term memory to long-term memory to automacity. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that word right. It's where it's it's like walking. We don't think about our steps. It's actually a level beyond long-term memory. Hmm. It's it's a level where it is so ingrained in us that we operate intuitively because the connections in our mind are so strong. So we can walk and chew gum. <laughs> and we can talk as we walk because walking is so worked into our, our brain patterns right. that we automatically do it properly. Well, what about the truths of God's Word? What about the emotional reactions we have being informed by Scripture? There's just no shortcut to that. And so Bible memorization and Bible reading, the tools are wonderful to get our minds to bounce to places we might have not thought as far as drawing connections or providing commentary insight on verses in their their connections elsewhere in scripture. Like I was preaching on someone, Psalm one recently, and there's a parallel in Jeremiah that just off the top of my mind, I hadn't remembered, 
but I'm reading a commentary. It reminds me of that. I can go look at it in context. That's great. Uh, what I would love is for Jeremiah 17 to be in my mind so much that it automatically comes to mind right. when I'm reading Psalm 1. So how do we do that? Steady, r- refreshing our minds with the Word of God. So yeah, it's it's not as initially dynamic and powerful as certain tools might seem to us, but at the end of the day, that's still where I want to put the bulk of my energy. And so, yeah, scripture reading, scripture memorization to me yeah. is, is, is clutch. Clutch. So yeah. speaking of tools, I've been using scripture typer, okay. uh, which I know a lot of students use. I hadn't even right, heard about yeah. it until the end of this past year, but I've been giving that a whirl. Is so. it just scriptureTyper.com, right? I think I, so. I haven't I think so, yeah. used it as much, but I tend, yeah, I tend to just open up a Word doc and Type and type and type and type. But I've I've heard this really helpful for scripture memory and yeah, like you're, you're saying, you know, you're our, using your senses and it's reinforcing. Yeah, and our you know our number one exegetical tool is our Bible, right? Right? Is 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 uh, you know early morning or whenever again? Mm-hmm. You know that time is maybe a little less important, but I know, regular... and that's why sometimes I feel unhelpful with these things because it's like well, read your Bible like hey, a lot, well, and, and many times consistent uh, reminder. Yeah. It is super helpful. I think it's been really helpful to, to hear your thoughts on some of that. Really appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you.